Chapter One and Two of Ward Number Six. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Expatriate in Bangor, Maine. Ward Number Six by Anton Chekhov. Translated by Constance Garnett, eighteen sixty one to nineteen forty six. Chapters One and Two. Chapter One. In the hospital yard there stands a small lodge, surrounded by a perfect forest of burdocks, nettles, and wild hemp. Its roof is rusty, the chimney is tumbling down, the steps at the front door are rotting away and overgrown with grass, and there are only traces left of the stucco. The front of the lodge faces the hospital. At the back it looks out into the open country, from which it is separated by the grey hospital fence with nails on it these nails with their points upwards and the fence and the lodge itself have that peculiar desolate god-forsaken look which is only found in our hospital and prison buildings if you are not afraid of being stung by the nettles come by the narrow footpath that leads to the lodge and let us see what is going on inside opening the first door we walk into the entry here along the walls and by the stove every sort of hospital rubbish lies littered about mattresses old tattered dressing-gowns trousers blue striped shirts boots and shoes no good for anything all these remnants are piled up in heaps mixed up and crumpled mouldering and giving out a sickly smell the porter nikita an old soldier wearing rusty good-conduct stripes is always lying on the litter with a pipe between his teeth he has a grim surly battered-looking face overhanging eyebrows which give him the expression of a sheepdog of the steppes and a red nose he is short and looks thin and scraggy but he is of imposing deportment and his fists are vigorous he belongs to the class of simple-hearted practical and dull-witted people prompt in carrying out orders who like discipline better than anything in the world and so are convinced that it is their duty to beat people he showers blows on the face on the chest on the back on whatever comes first and is convinced that there would be no order in the place if he did not next you come into a big spacious room which fills up the whole lodge except for the entry here the walls are painted a dirty blue the ceiling is as sooty as in a hut without a chimney it is evident that in the winter the stove smokes and the room is full of fumes the windows are disfigured by iron gratings on the inside the wooden floor is grey and full of splinters there is a stench of sour cabbage of smouldering wicks of bugs and of ammonia and for the first minute the stench gives you the impression of having walked into a menagerie there are bedsteads screwed to the floor men in blue hospital dressing-gowns and wearing nightcaps in the old style are sitting and lying on them these are the lunatics there are five of them in all here only one is of the upper class the rest are all artisans the one nearest the door a tall lean workman with shining red whiskers and tear-stained eyes sits with his head propped on his hand staring at the same point day and night he grieves shaking his head sighing and smiling bitterly he takes a part in conversation and usually makes no answer to questions he eats and drinks mechanically when food is offered him from his agonizing throbbing cough his thinness and the flush on his cheeks one may judge that he is in the first stage of consumption. Next to him is a little, alert, very lively old man, 
with a pointed beard and curly black hair like a negro's by day he walks up and down the ward from window to window or sits on his bed cross-legged like a turk and ceaselessly as a bullfinch whistles softly sings and titters he shows his childish gaiety and lively character at night also when he gets up to say his prayers that is to beat himself on the chest with his fists and to scratch with his fingers at the door this is the jew moiseka an imbecile who went crazy twenty years ago when his hat factory was burnt down and of all the inhabitants of ward number six he is the only one who is allowed to go out of the lodge and even out of the yard into the street he has enjoyed this privilege for years probably because he is an old inhabitant of the hospital a quiet harmless imbecile the buffoon of the town where people are used to seeing him surrounded by boys and dogs in his wretched gown in his absurd nightcap and in slippers sometimes with bare legs and even without trousers he walks about the streets stopping at the gates and little shops and begging for a copper in one place they will give him some kvass in another some bread in another a copper so that he generally goes back to the ward feeling rich and well fed everything that he brings back nikita takes from him for his own benefit the soldier does this roughly angrily turning the jew's pockets inside out and calling god to witness that he will not let him go into the street again and that breach of the regulations is worse to him than anything in the world moiseka likes to make himself useful he gives his companions water and covers them up when they are asleep he promises each of them to bring him back a kopeck and to make him a new cap he feeds with a spoon his neighbor on the left who is paralyzed he acts in this way not from compassion nor from any considerations of a humane kind but through imitation unconsciously dominated by gromov his neighbor on the right hand ivan dmitritch gromov a man of thirty-three who is a gentleman by birth and has been a court usher and provincial secretary suffers from the mania of persecution he either lies curled up in bed or walks from corner to corner as though for exercise he very rarely sits down he is always excited agitated and overwrought by a sort of vague undefined expectation the faintest rattle in the entry or shout in the yard is enough to make him raise his head and begin listening whether they are coming for him whether they are looking for him and at such times his face expresses the utmost uneasiness and repulsion i like his broad face with its high cheekbones always pale and unhappy and reflecting as though in a mirror a soul tormented by conflict and long-continued terror his grimaces are strange and abnormal but the delicate lines traced on his face by profound genuine suffering show intelligence and sense and there is a warm and healthy light in his eyes i like the man himself courteous anxious to be of use and extraordinarily gentle to everyone except nikita when anyone drops a button or a spoon he jumps up from his bed quickly and picks it up every day he says good morning to his companions and when he goes to bed he wishes them good night besides his continually overwrought condition and his grimaces his madness shows itself in the following way also sometimes in the evenings he wraps himself in his dressing-gown and trembling all over with his teeth chattering begins walking rapidly from corner to corner and between the bedsteads it seems as though he is in a violent fever from the way he suddenly stops and glances at his companions it can be seen that he is longing to say something very important 
but apparently reflecting that they would not listen or would not understand him he shakes his head impatiently and goes on pacing up and down but soon the desire to speak gets the upper hand of every consideration and he will let himself go and speak fervently and passionately his talk is disordered and feverish like delirium disconnected and not always intelligible but on the other hand something extremely fine may be felt in it both in the words and the voice when he talks you recognize in him the lunatic and the man it is difficult to reproduce on paper his insane talk he speaks of the baseness of mankind of violence trampling on justice of the glorious life which will one day be upon earth of the window gratings which remind him every minute of the stupidity and cruelty of oppressors it makes a disorderly incoherent potpourri of themes old but not yet out of date chapter two some twelve or fifteen years ago an official called gromov a highly respectable and prosperous person was living in his own house in the principal street of the town he had two sons sergey and ivan when sergey was a student in his fourth year he was taken ill with galloping consumption and died and his death was as it were the first of a whole series of calamities which suddenly showered on the gromov family within a week of sergey's funeral the old father was put on trial for fraud and misappropriation and he died of typhoid in the prison hospital soon afterwards the house with all their belongings was sold by auction and ivan dmitritch and his mother were left entirely without means hitherto in his father's lifetime ivan dmitritch who was studying in the university of petersburg had received an allowance of sixty or seventy roubles a month and had had no conception of poverty now he had to make an abrupt change in his life he had to spend his time from morning to night giving lessons for next to nothing to work at copying and with all that to go hungry as all his earnings were sent to keep his mother ivan dmitritch could not stand such a life he lost heart and strength and giving up the university went home here through interest he obtained the post of teacher in the district school but could not get on with his colleagues was not liked by the boys and soon gave up the post his mother died he was for six months without work living on nothing but bread and water then he became a court usher he kept this post until he was dismissed owing to his illness he had never even in his young student days given the impression of being perfectly healthy he had always been pale thin and given to catching cold he ate little and slept badly a single glass of wine went to his head and made him hysterical he always had a craving for society but owing to his irritable temperament and suspiciousness he never became very intimate with anyone and had no friends he always spoke with contempt of his fellow townsmen saying that their coarse ignorance and sleepy animal existence seemed to him loathsome and horrible he spoke in a loud tenor with heat and invariably either with scorn and indignation or with wonder and enthusiasm and always with perfect sincerity whatever one talked to him about he always brought it round to the same subject that life was dull and stifling in the town that the townspeople had no lofty interests but lived a dingy meaningless life diversified by violence coarse profligacy and hypocrisy that scoundrels were well fed and clothed while honest men lived from hand to mouth that they needed schools a progressive local paper a theatre public lectures the coordination of the intellectual elements 
that society must see its failings and be horrified. In his criticisms of people he laid on the colors thick, using only black and white and no fine shades. Mankind was divided for him into honest men and scoundrels. There was nothing in between. He always spoke with passion and enthusiasm of women and of love, but he had never been in love. In spite of the severity of his judgments and his nervousness, he was liked, and behind his back was spoken of affectionately as Vanya. His innate refinement and readiness to be of service, his good breeding, his moral purity, and his shabby coat, his frail appearance and family misfortunes aroused a kind, warm, sorrowful feeling. Moreover, he was well-educated and well-read. According to the townspeople's notions, he knew everything, and was in their eyes something like a walking encyclopedia. He had read a great deal. He would sit at the club, nervously pulling at his beard and looking through the magazines and books, and from his face one could see that he was not reading, but devouring the pages, without giving himself time to digest what he read. It must be supposed that reading was one of his morbid habits, as he fell upon anything that came into his hands with equal avidity, even last year's newspapers and calendars. At home he always read lying down. End of section one. Recording by Expatriate in Bangor, Maine.